It's time for Watch and Learn, the show where we discuss the life lessons we learn from the movies we watch, today at World's End. Hey, hey, Movie Maniacs, my name is Sky, and I'm here with my brother Dusty. What is going on, Dust? What's up, dude? Yeah, I am... I'm doing great. Everything's going really well. And actually, um, you and I are recording this. And as we are recording, I'm literally um, vacationing in the East Coast of America. So going from Orlando, driving up all the way up to Washington, D.C., taking my family on a four-week trip, sightseeing and doing so many great things with history and all that. You know, we homeschool. So this is a huge um, field trip for the entire family. But we're going to go to Washington, D.C., New York, see the Statue of Liberty, all that great stuff. And so Florida, all the way up to Washington, D.C. and New York. Sweet, man. I'm super happy for you. Now, I I never asked you this. I'm kind of assuming you're renting like an SUV or something. But did you actually fly into Florida and then rent an RV to go up north? Or what's the accommodations, the travel plans here or logistics? Yeah, that's a great question. So I actually thought about doing an RV. In fact, my wife, she was like, no, let's do an RV. I really want to do an RV. I'm like, oh, I don't know. So I looked it up. And because I'm not dropping it off in the same place, because I'm going to Florida all the way up to Washington, D.C., and it's stopping there. That's where we're, we're finishing. It's going to be like $2,600 or, or more. If I was going to drop it back off in the same place, then it's going to be a different story. Um, you know, much cheaper. And I could just get um, some people that actually own, rather than like an um, rental, uh, Cruise America, I think is one. That's going to be like $2,600. If I was renting out like a, an Uber for, for uh, RVs, it's much cheaper. So anyways, we're going to rent a rental car and stay in either Airbnbs all the way up, you know, driving up there or staying in hotels, depending on which one's the easiest and the most uh, nicest, but also the cheapest. I usually try to stay for around $70 to $100 if I, as best I can uh, each night. Totally, man. It's a good plan, especially when you're spending that much time on the road. But I don't know if you looked into this, but I heard that it can be uh, pretty feasible to buy an RV, take it on your trip. Now, of course, you're landing in one place, dropping it off in another and coming home. But I don't know if you looked into the fact, the idea of buying it, taking it on your trip and then selling it afterwards. If we, and I think that's a great idea, and I've actually looked into it. If we were starting in Phoenix, where we live, buying it here, driving all around America, and then coming back and selling it here because I could sit here and sell it and wait and all that sort of stuff, I absolutely think that's a great idea. You're not going to spend that much money. You know, it would cost to rent that, you would be paying a crap load of money to do that. But this way, like RVs don't lose their resale value that quickly. And so that's a great, uh, but only if you're starting, in, in my opinion, buying it and then ending in a location. It really all comes down to is ending in a location where you're going to sit for a while and eventually sell it. Yeah, that makes sense. Denise and I have talked about it and we think, well, we're definitely going to do a road trip across America at some point because there's plenty of states we haven't visited, haven't hit yet. We don't want to fly to all of them individually. You know, a road trip makes a lot of sense. Um, So we're probably going to give ourselves one to two months to get that done, probably in like three or four years from now. Yeah. And, you know, we have a friend, um, he has a website called mappedoutmoney.com and he literally does RVing with his wife and they drive around everywhere and they don't even own a house. So their, their RV and their truck, that's where they live and they love it. And they, they have a terrific time doing that. But yeah, you absolutely can. 
Cool, man. That sounds like a, a good plan. So I think that's what we'll be doing instead of renting. Uh, it'll be interesting, though. I've never actually bought and then sold a car that quickly. So it'll be a new experience for me. Ah, uh, you do it. No problem. Yeah, piece of cake. So, all right, let's get to the movie. We're talking about Pirates Part 3 at World's End. And now, let me tell you, Dust, last time we talked about Dead Man's Chest, I gave the entire series an A, and I still give it an A, but I found this one to be kind of a slog to get through, especially in all those parts where they're just talking, a lot of exposition, a lot of me trying to figure out what exactly is happening. This seems like there's three different sides, or maybe even four different sides with different plans and ideas. So this movie is definitely, out of the three, a lower grade for me. But altogether... You know, all three movies, I still have to give it at least an A, maybe an A minus for the three movies. That's a good a good rating. But um, for me, it, I mean, this was a long movie. It's two and a half hours, maybe 2.45. I mean, it was a long movie. And yeah, I agree. Sometimes I'm kind of trying to figure out what's really going on. Like, like what is Will Turner actually trying to do? Like, what, what his, what's his plan? Um, and when he says something, it's like, I don't understand why he's saying, why he's doing that. But along with what you're saying... Um, there are some definitely some times in the movie where it, it does drag on and it does feel like it's a little uh, it's a little longer. Than, but here's what was rather interesting. As I was watching it, I th- started thinking, this is a good movie. Like, I, I know that they're all good movies, but I was thinking this is better than I remembered it to be. And I absolutely loved the end scenes where, you know, um, uh, Elizabeth gets on the deck of the ship and she starts telling everybody, let's go fight him, blah, 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 let's go fight him. From that point on, and the maelstrom was super amazing. Like that action was without a doubt some of the best action I've seen in a long time. And summing up, I really, really like this movie. I actually, I think it's better than part two, in my opinion. Um, I think if it wasn't for how long it was or like it just kind of drug on just a little bit here and there, if it wasn't for that, then it would probably be a little higher. But yeah, for me, I still give the entire series an A. If it, So for me, it's number one's the best, number three is second, and number two is third. Ah, uh-huh, I see. I go one, two, and three in my order of appreciation right there. But I still give the whole series an A or an A-. minus. Um, and you had said one one thing right there. Um, starting from Elizabeth's step up onto the stage, not stage, but like, you know, rousing the troops and that kind of thing. I agree with you. That's where that movie took off. And I really enjoyed every single moment after that, just like you. And especially, and I'll, I'll tell, you know, everybody right now, my favorite scene is having Jack Sparrow fighting Davy Jones for the chest up on top of the mast. Not only just the swashbuckling, you know, sword flinging stuff, but also spinning around on the ropes and stuff. It was just a really cool, awesome visual scene. You see the gigantic, um, I I guess whirlpool whirlpool in the background the whole time the crazy skies all the rain and stuff super fun scene i bet you that took a lot of time to choreograph and film i i completely agree and so it's obviously it's a whirlpool but they called it a maelstrom so it's even bigger or like a huge whirlpool and that was man by far that was the, that made it and then at the very end when the um uh flying dutchman pops back out of the water with will turner now at the helm the captain and they go and get the um uh east india trading company bad guy you know like hey business is bad and that's that kind of thing is hey it's a good business sense or something like that but anyways everything from beginning to end i thought or of that scene of the maelstrom to the end where they blow up that ship really really entertaining and i had it playing my kids were in the background watching it i'm like you guys are scared get out of here like no we want to watch it but it was super super fun and let me ask you now 
I, I've been trying to figure out how to best ask this question. And I couldn't <laughs> Here figure it, it is, out. everybody. A tough, dusty question. Lay it <laughs> on so I remember I gave you the word captain being something in the storyline as being an issue with the story. Can you think of in this part three that something happens or some scenario or whatever, but a re- that, that puts a hole in everything that they are doing from beginning to end? So you just now used the word hole. Does that mean there's a huge plot hole that I'm unaware of? Possibly. Um. So, you know, you probably didn't catch it. Yeah, I don't know why I caught it. It just happened. Okay, so track with me here. In the first movie, the um, Curse of the Black Pearl, who was the captain of the Black Pearl originally? It was Jack Sparrow, correct? Yes. Then... What happened? How did how did um uh, what happened to him get marooned or stranded on the island? They just did a mutiny, Barbosa. His his crew did a mutiny. Now, was Barbosa a captain or was he a first mate? Oh. He was the first mate, correct? He was not a captain. So Captain or Captain, he's now Captain Barbosa, but he was never a captain before. He was a captain after he took over the ship from um, uh, uh, Sparrow, but they never crossed paths. They never were together. In part three, you have the nine of eight, nine pieces of eight. Well, Captain Barbosa is a captain the same time that Jack uh, Sparrow is a captain working together to bind up Calypso and all that sort of stuff. But Barbosa was never a captain, so why would he be a part of that whole scenario? That is interesting. And as a side note, it just reminded me, in the first movie I chose my prop was one of the pieces of eight, but no, I had mixed terms up. I guess it was just the gold medallion, the Aztec gold, like you had said, and the pieces of eight. Yeah, it's what the captains all had. Was he a captain and then lost his ship and became first mate on Jax? I mean, that's the only explanation I can see, but they never mention that, right? It's it's literally they, anything beyond um, we we know that the reason why David Jones has a or Jack Sparrow has a debt with Davy Jones is because he raised Black Pearl from the bottom of the ocean and that's his debt and we don't know anything beyond that or, or earlier than that that's all we know so we've never seen Captain Barbosa to be captain until after he mutinied Jack Sparrow. Interesting, yeah, and if he inherited the captain mantle from a different ship then that means that tall skinny guy with the with the wooden eye must have been on a different i don't yeah you're 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 right that probably is a plot hole but it's probably something they just kind of said now the audience isn't going to ever know let's just make it like barbosa was a captain the entire time originally when they had the eight the nine pieces of eight like you said 30 years ago or whatever the date ends up being you know yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's absolutely what they should have or what they did. I don't know how they could have done it differently because he wasn't a captain. But then he'd have to go back and explain and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, I, I think I was the only one that either caught that or I'm wrong. And it's not a hole. But it just seems like that's a, a fairly big hole from beginning to end. But that's easily one that you could just say, ah, let's just roll with it. Yeah, I think... That's my view on it. Let's just roll with it. Let's just assume Barbosa was a captain from the start because it fits really well with the story. I like it. Like, I mean, I get like it. Let's say he wasn't a captain. How could he have had the exact same motive to go to the meeting of pirates and release Calypso? Yeah, I I know. So, yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, how could he like how could they have rewritten it to give him a motivation still? 
I mean, maybe I just know. a I... motivation to survive and to beat the East India Trading Company. Maybe he could have seen that as his only out. Well, that and he wants to be the captain of the Black Pearl. You know, he he thinks he's still going to take over that and all that's good stuff. So, um, yeah, it's just a hole in the story or a, a, I don't know if that's a hole. It's not the best way to say it, but um, a problem. It's problematic because Captain Barbosa was never a captain until after Jack Sparrow, you know, he lost his boat. So we don't have to keep going on that. I just remember when I first watched, it, I was like, why is he there? He wasn't a captain originally now. So, but yeah, it was like 30 years ago, like a long time ago, um, that they actually encapsulated Calypso and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, that's a problem in the story. It seems like it is. That's a good point. I, I would have never caught that man. Good eye, sweet, Dust. Sweet. Eagle eye, Dusty. That's right. We got to put you up on the top mast to look out for enemy ships. I'm going to be the little guy shooting the big gun. From That's up right. <laughs> that was actually kind of funny. You know, th- this movie has uh, occasionally like slapsticky kind of humor like that. And then when he did come out of the hold, shot the gun and flew backwards, I, I did get a little chuckle out of it. I definitely laughed when he did that because you see him running with his big gun. I was like, oh, what's going to happen? Well, that was awesome. Yeah, it was. man. And you know, what's interesting about him is he has kind of a a little, hey, guys, kind of voice like, like, um, if you think about, um, uh, oh my gosh, in James Bond, there was a little person who had that voice, um, knickknack, in the man with the golden gun. Yep, yep, just like Mini Me, yeah, yeah, just like Mini Me. He had that little hang eyes kind of a voice, and I mean, I wonder if that's on purpose or if that's the 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 actor's real voice. You know, just it just reminded me of Nick Knack. <laughs> very, very cool. One of the one of the best lines from that movie. You probably don't remember it, but um, Scaramanga is the bad guy. He's he's the tall guy with third nipple. He is the one who played Sauron um, or Sauron in the Lord of the Rings. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting too deep there, but one of the best lines out of that movie, the man with the golden gun, he goes, um, knickknack Tabasco when he's eating his lunch and knickknack, his henchman comes out with a bottle of Tabasco. Pretty cool product placement right there. <laughs> well, yeah, it's fun seeing, uh, it, hopefully it doesn't take you out of the movie when you see product placement. Obviously when you have something like Lord, of the, not Lord of the Rings, um, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. It's hard to do product placement because it's nothing going on other than East India Trading Company. But yeah, like um, I know you and I want to do Kung Pao and you know product placement of Taco Bell inside there too. It's just fun <laughs> seeing that if they do it right too. You're right about that, huh? Taco Bell product placement with Taco Bell <laughs> <laughs> and Chorito Macho Burrito. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that is so good. That's oh, I'm glad you brought that up. That's funny stuff, man. It makes me laugh. Um, you know, getting back to this movie right here, uh, there's a few things that I really did enjoy about it. Um, I'm a big fan of Chow Yun-Fat, you know, he's just a really good actor, Chinese Hong Kong action star actor. I haven't seen much of him lately, but the fact that they put him in this movie in Singapore, uh, at the very beginning, you know, it, it, it made it a lot more fun for me. Just, I'm just a fan of his. Yeah. He's it, honestly, in my opinion, this really showed how, uh, versatile or how good of an actor he is. He actually did a fantastic job acting. Like you, he's very, very believable. Everything about it. I, I really liked him and as the, whatever the character was. Yeah I, yeah. I can't think of the character's name, but I do have a question for you. His character thought uh, as soon as Barbosa mentions Calypso, he looks over at Kira Knightley's character and he's kind of assuming that, oh, you're talking about Calypso. Maybe this is Calypso in human form. Why would he think that? I mean, she's like 18 or 20 years old. It just seemed kind of odd to me that he would come to that conclusion. 
Well, it's just a pretty lady because he literally said we have Calypso with us. There's only two girls. The pretty one that's, you know, not having her teeth all black and everything that looks, she looks all disheveled and everything. You're going to look at the pretty one and just kind of assume that one. Uh, but he literally said, I have uh, Calypso, like we have Calypso with us. And so he looks at her. And then Barbosa just let him think, yeah, that's Calypso, yep. buddy. You got it. Yep. Yep, exactly. So that, that worked out really well. And what's interesting, I was really kind of thinking, uh, let me let me ask you, with Calypso, she grows huge and then turns into a maelstrom, but we never see her the rest of the time. Like, she's gone. I was I, I thought she was going to be something like that's powerful or something that's really going to be a part of the story. I was a little bit let down with that. Yeah, you know, I bet you they had a scene when the very end, Davy Jones falls into the maelstrom at the bottom of the whirlpool whirlpool i bet you she was down there to greet him and to take him back but they probably just cut that out because it just it was a two and a half hour movie man maybe maybe i I just thought because you know all the pirates they locked her up because she was a bad lady and she would you know obviously you know make their lives bad so they locked her up and you know they didn't want to release her because of that and all that stuff and so it was and she was mad at them and so it just seemed like she would have a bigger part than just creating a maelstrom I agree with you there, but one thing that I thought of, you said in the very beginning, this is a two and a half hour movie, a little bit long, felt like a slog at times. Maybe I said it felt like a slog, but you said it felt long. Could they have done away with Calypso? I mean, the whole idea of having Calypso probably added 10 or 15 minutes to the movie. Instead of having all of that stuff concerning her trying to get the eight piece or the nine pieces of eight turning her you know releasing her and stuff couldn't they just have had like a crazy storm at the end and just battled in the storm and just skip that stuff and saved us 15 minutes i would agree because i didn't it didn't seem like calypso actually added that much or her you know being released and all that it didn't add that much for me personally um it just seemed like it added more time onto it and they still needed to battle the bad guy or the, you know, the ECA trading company still had to battle him. So they could have cut at least 15, 20 minutes out of it. I agree with you there. Now, the only thing, cause I was just mulling on this. The only problem I see with that is maybe now we need to have a reason for Davy Jones being the way he is, but maybe it was just a deal he made with the devil at one time. You know what I mean? I mean, why? I I just couldn't understand why have Calypso when it felt like it was an unnecessary um, uh, thing to throw into the plot to kind of confuse the audience because it was one of the things I was struggling with. Like, what is exactly going on? Why do we care about Calypso? Why is she in there? So it just, you know, uh, popped questions into my head, which kind of brought my enjoyment of the movie down a little bit because I'm constantly trying to think about what the heck is going on. Yeah, I can see that. And especially when you have Calypso, um, she's she's a, a, I don't know what you would call it, like a, the death, like she's basically death or something. Like she she made sure that Davy Jones would usher back and forth, or back forth, not, not back and forth, but forth people from who die in the ocean to, you know, his locker or basically hell or whatever it's at. And so that's his job is to take them over and she gave him that job now why he sh- he got the job i just there were so many things that they had to develop in that that was just a little off for me but um but yeah i wanted to bring up how much money the movie and obviously all three movies combined it makes him a crap load of money but the budget was 300 million dollars estimated to be the opening weekend it got 1.3 sorry not 1.3 139 million dollars um, in the opening weekend, gross USA was 309 
as of October of 2007. So it's made more money, DVD sales and all that sort of stuff. But as of November 2011, commutative gross worldwide is just under a billion dollars. That's interesting. Didn't you say? So this movie came out like two years later after the second, but that one grossed a billion, but this one didn't hit a billion. So does that mean people got kind of like pirate fatigue after the second, do you think? I, I Yes, that's a great question. I This is what I perceive. The first one was so groundbreaking. groundbreaking. It was like so awesome, so terrific. And they, they we, we got to watch the second one. So more people went to the second one. And then after watching the second one, they were like, uh, you know what? It was okay. It was a good movie. Just like kind of we were thinking at the time. It was a good movie. But not everybody said, we have to see the third one. I think after they saw the first one, they said, we have to see the second one because it was so good. Gotcha. Yeah, you know... Normally, when a movie comes out as a straight trilogy, if I like the first, I'm going to go see the second and third for sure. Um, there is one time that I totally disregarded that. The whole Hunger Hunger Games thing. I watched the first, liked it. Watched the second, bored off my butt. Watched the third, hated it. I never watched the fourth conclusion. Now, you didn't miss much. Now, the books were much, much better. Well, yeah, you say that, but... The first book was good. The second book was okay. The third book was terrible because I read them as well. So you read oh. them and liked them? Well, I guess I was just interested in to see what was going to end up in the story. Mm. So, you know, as I was going through it, I, it was an audio book, so I didn't actually read it. Um, so maybe I just turned my brain off when we got a little boring. But uh, <laughs> That's right. Just in general, you focused I a little bit more was... on the dishes and the boring parts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I was looking back. Okay, so we have... Um, Pirates of Caribbean 2, it'd be easier to say 2 and 3 rather than the whole name, but Pirates of Caribbean 2, it, it started, their budget was $225 million, and the opening weekend was one, $135 million. and Pirates of Caribbean 3, its opening, or its budget was three hundred, and its opening was $139 million. so it made a little bit more money on the opening weekend, which mm. is pretty good, but it was, you know, two, two years later. Ticket prices the, go up a little bit. Yeah. Gross USA for number two was four hundred twenty-three million. For number three, gross worldwide was three hundred nine. So it, obviously, the opening weekend, just about maybe even more people um, went out to see the the number three. But community gross worldwide under a billion for part three, and part two was just over like one billion and sixty-six million dollars. Nice. Man, so yeah, totally profitable series. Of course, it led into parts four and five, too, later on. And I, I think they have another one coming out eventually. I think they announced one, at least. Well, I think they're going to reboot it. Like, they're going to Oh, it's a reboot. Everything. Yeah, it's, it's a reboot. Wait which... a second. They're rebooting it. The first one came out in 03. So they're rebooting it, like, 17 years later? Yes, they they're are. They're not even waiting. They're not even giving it time to breathe or, or to sit with audiences, you know? They're not even waiting for a next generation. Hey, dude, you're forgetting what it's all about. Merchandising, merchandising, merchandising. That's right. That and money. You know, those Disney executives need to justify why, they, why they're in place and getting millions a year themselves. <laughs> Absolutely. And, man, Disney, they're making so much money. That's just crazy. Dude, they're killing it, man. After buying Marvel. Oh, my God. And then they have this whole Star Wars brand. Oh, goodness. Oh. My goodness. They're going to yep. be having top box offices, you know, the top 10 movies all year for the next 10 or 15 years, I bet. It seems like it. I mean, they're well, well on track to do that. Yeah, it's amazing. But let's get back to the movie. You know, there's one character that we have hardly mentioned at all that plays kind of a prominent role in all three movies. And I really enjoy him. And that's the first mate, Gibbs. He's not like super funny, but I really like how they use him 
he's like kind of like the exposition guy. He's explaining the story to, you know, Will and Elizabeth who don't really know much about what's going on. And, and his explanations, uh, just like he's explaining it to the characters, but it's at the same time explaining it to the audience. I think he does a really good job of playing a first mate, you know, doing what the captain orders, but occasionally questioning the captain when necessary too. And I, I really like the actor. Don't know his name, but he pulled off being first mate really well. Yeah, he sure did. I completely agree. I, I actually I really think all the actors in the movie, like their acting ability, it do, none of their acting, honestly, although Kara Knightley, she's not, in my opinion, not the best actress. And it, I find that her acting kind of takes me out of the movie just a little bit occasionally. Not all the time, just a little bit. But the you know the majority of the actors do a good job, and I never get taken out of the movie at all. That's interesting, man. Her acting never gets me. But have you ever, like, just in real life, you know, you're you're working wherever your prior jobs was and you actually encounter somebody who's just so insanely beautiful you can't really think straight around them not 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 really maybe uh, oh, okay well to me that's how Kira Knightley is and like three three or four times in my life I've encountered somebody you know and then just meeting them like out in the world and I just don't know what to say I get tongue-tied around them like something that you see in the movies when a character meets another and they're tongue-tied I've experienced like that three or four times and when I see Kira Knightley on screen I kind of get that way too I'm just like struck by her beauty huh you know, you know me uh there, I, I've never lost for words and I'll take I'll fill up the whole room <laughs> with words so usually it's like hey what's going on I don't, I'll have something to say no matter what I don't know if I've ever actually come across where I'm actually like that where I you know I, I I get tongue-tied. Now, I will say sometimes I get too uh, clever. Like there's so many thoughts going through my brain of what to say that I get tongue-tied. Like, oh, there's like eight things. Like if you remember, it was really funny on Friends. One time there was a Chandler. He's the sarcastic, funny guy on the TV show Friends. And something happened. And then he says, oh, too many brain, no, too many jokes. My brain hurts. Too many jokes. And I'm like, That's kind of how my brain gets. It's like there's so many things going on that I, I want to say. And I just can't straighten them all out first. And so I just start tongue, getting tongue-tied and fall over my words. That's funny, man. I remember, I can't remember the details of that episode, but I do remember him going through that. And then what's interesting about that, as the audience member, you can kind of see a lot of those jokes that they're trying to, <laughs> trying to break through out of his brain, you know? Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so that's how I am. But yeah, so, I mean, her acting is, I mean, it's not horrible at, by any means at all. I think just, it's something, something again about a ridiculously anorexically skinny, um, lady fighting and winning and killing people i'm just like oh that's just literally you swing a, a sword at her and she tries to block it you're gonna blow it away not like blow the the um uh, sword away but she has no strength to hold it compared to what your blow can be so just you know things like that just kind of get to me yeah I, I can understand that uh the other night we were watching kick-ass and um you know seeing hit girl it's awesome seeing what she can do uh but she's like a little 11 year old girl just killing dudes with her sword and punching and kicking and stuff but it's it still makes for a fun movie watch you know but i understand what you're saying a little bit um impossible <laughs> it just kind of reminds me of, like my daughter she's 10 and a half and she could absolutely not do any of that maybe she could be trained to do that but to literally be strong enough like to have the physical ability to do that is just impossible so, so, yeah, something else I want to talk about here. In the very beginning, right, you see all of those pirate prisoners getting hung one after the other. Now, Dust, would you willingly just walk to the gallows like that? Absolutely not. 
I, I'm not walking towards the gallows. You're going to drag me or make me dead in, in, or like not unconscious. I am not. And that's another thing. If you remember Red Dawn, the first Red Dawn, the good one, where they actually. <laughs> the good Red Dawn. Yeah. <laughs> the good Red Dawn. So you have the firing squad and you have the guys there. They start singing uh, probably Old Beautiful. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, the song, the, the song about the, the flag. Oh, beautiful for gracious skies. Anyways, and they just stand there and they wait to get shot. Man, I instead of doing that, I'm bum rushing. I'm like, I'm doing everything. I don't care. I'm going to get shot anyways. I see everybody else dying. What I'd rather die trying to do something than not. At least I say that now because I'm not actually going to die. You know, I might be peeing my pants or something when it actually comes to it. But man, I just that type of personality where if I see something coming, I'm going to do everything I can to get out of it or be planning, uh, scheming or whatever to get out of it. I feel the exact same way as you. Um, oh man, just, it, it, it really did sadden me. I, I like the idea of the kids seeing everybody singing in solidarity, but come on, skip the singing fight in solidarity. Oh man. Absolutely. It's, uh, oh, good. And the, the main bad guy. Oh, good. They're singing now. <laughs> it's like, oh, wow. That's just funny. Yeah. Isn't that terrible? I mean, the, like Lord Beckett and then all the other of his soldiers and stuff, they're just down with it really felt like murdering when you're not giving people due process and you're just, you know, hey, you're a pirate. We think you're a pirate. You're going to get hung. It just it just felt terrible, man. I don't think I could be a soldier in that kind of situation like them. No, and honestly, that that is absolutely what my brain went. And so I want to jump into my first lesson. So my first lesson is never give up your rights, as you we see in the opening opening scene, where it's say like, this, you know, assembly that's um, uh, suspended, or you know, right to live is suspended, all that sort of stuff. Like, never let your your rights as a human being be taken away. You need to fight back, and that was my first lesson. Going off of what you just asked, like, could you stand in that line? No, I couldn't. I'd have to be dra- drugged. Or is it dragged? Dragged to the, uh, the gallows as opposed to just willingly walk towards it. So that's my first lesson. Yeah, man, that's a really good lesson. I like it. And it's a, it's perfect. Um, of course, those people didn't follow your lesson. You know, they didn't learn that. But now that all of us listening to you, for sure, we're going to get that. And we hopefully the Russians and Cubans don't take over the country and that happens, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yep. Um, and so, well, I'll get to, I'll go ahead and get to my first lesson. Uh, it is hold true to your word because that's all that you've got. Once you're a betrayer, you're always a betrayer. And so this is a big mistake that Lord Beckett makes, right? And also a lot of the pirates, you know, they give their word and then all of a sudden, bam, they go back on their word. They, they just betray you. They kill you. They take your ship, whatever the case is. If you show somebody that they cannot trust you, they won't trust you from that point forward. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's really not worth it. You, you, you give somebody your word, you've got to keep it. If you, especially if you want to stay in power as a captain or just basically stay alive when it's a time of pirates and everyone's killing each other, you've got to be true to your word. Absolutely. I completely agree. Now, I don't know how to lie very well at all. In fact, I obviously think lying is not right and I try not to do it. I just know, how can you keep all those lies, you know, straight in your head? I just can't do it. But yeah, you do be obviously be true to your word. That's a great, great lesson. So my second lesson is going on with Jack Sparrow. Like he always is figuring out a plan. He's trying to Either he either knows the plan right away or he's trying to figure out the plan. Like he's always trying to make his plan and living out his plan to get whatever he wants, good or bad. You know, it's he has a plan. And so always have a plan. 
That's nice, man. That actually leads into my second lesson. It's kind of a little bit, mm, it's kind of a take on yours. Um, Paul Simon once said, improvisation is too good to leave to chance. And so that's basically like, you know, it seems like Sparrow is constantly improvising. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's just getting lucky. But I bet you that he is game planning the entire time before he takes action on anything, right? So he's like following Paul Simon's words right there. It looks like he's improvising, but he has a plan the entire time. And he, and I think he follows through on it. And it more often than not works out in his favor because he's, I think he's smarter than everyone else around him. I, I definitely can see that. Obviously, uh, with all the rum and all that sort of stuff, he goes through his system. He's not uh, always on on pace with everybody else, like speed-wise. Um, but what it comes out is he has the big picture. Now, I think of when he grabs the case and he knows his ultimate plan is to take over for Davy Jones and live forever and take over. He's totally fine with doing that. And we see him grab the case from the two guys, you know, inside, who eventually turn out to be pirates or they, they turn into pirates, you know, with the cannons trying to blow it up. But so what you see is and what's kind of interesting, if they did that, one of them would have to take over as Davy Jones, which would be kind of neat. But um, what happens is he is in the plan. He grabs the case and he's running out. So his end goal is to get the case and get off of the ship and get onto the other ship however well he can in the best way they can. And he knows in the past, you know, grabbing onto a rope, having it fly, you know, fling him. That, that has worked in the past. So he's using his experiences in the past as well as his desire for what he wants. And so you see him run and he's like, okay, now it's time for me to leave. And he goes and grabs the um, rope, hits it with the box and the case, and it shoots him off. So anyways, all that to say, he has the end goal in mind. And he, with his experience, he's able to piece together as he goes. So it's not like he knows every single step, but he has experiences as well as he knows where he wants to go. And he can take educated guesses to get to that next step. Hopefully that makes sense. No, it totally makes sense. And it leads directly into my third lesson. And that is the more you do, the more you can do. So because Jack Sparrow has gone through all of these circumstances, he's done everything that he's he's done in his life. Everything allowed him to succeed like he did in this movie, right? In the end, he could have eventually stabbed, not eventually, he could have chosen to stab the heart and take over as Davy Jones. But instead, you know, he decided, hey, I'm going to let Will live, um... And let him, you know, live forever by stabbing the heart. But it was everything like you just said. Everything that led up to... Everything in his life led up to his success in this moment. He just chose at the very end to to do something uh, to help somebody else as opposed to just him, you know? That's a great point. I can't remember who said it or how it was said in general. But this is the gist of it. Um, You know... I, I'm lucky because of all the experiences that I, or, you know, the hard work that I put in. Luck is basically because I put in so much good effort that now when opportunity comes, I'm not lucky. It's just that I seize on those opportunities because I have experience because I move and I'm, I take action. So I completely agree with you. Yep. Cool beans, man. Awesome. Yep. Good. So my third lesson is communication helps all situations. Better communicating, not keeping a secret, like with uh, Will Turner and elizabeth in in every sense instance in part two and especially part three like they're at odds and they're not communicating they're not talking and it's just not helpful in fact she gets upset when she finally realizes what's the the ultimate goal of his plan and all that sort of stuff so it really makes it communication makes everything better as long as you communicate well it does. I agree with you. We've talked about that lesson before and it's totally applicable here. And I thought about that as one of my own lessons for this. And I'm just wondering, 
as I was watching it, why, I mean, was, why weren't they communicating? Was it just the fact that at the end of part two, and we didn't really discuss this when we talked about part two, but he saw Elizabeth kissing Jack. So was he kind of like worried that she loved him? And so she, he just wasn't communicating with her. Was it as simple as that? I think it's as simple as that. But the other thing is what Elizabeth should have done was say, because, you know, at the very end, you know, they were saying, like, you know, here's to Jack and all that sort of stuff. He was a good man. She should have just pulled him aside and say, no, like, honestly, I had to lock him up because I knew that's what it was going to be is either us or him because um, he would let us die easily. And so she should have initially opened up that conversation. And this is what I did. And he was like, oh, I saw you kiss him. That's what you did. Oh, wow. OK, but I, I get it now. Yeah, I agree. She should have opened up with that. Uh, but I guess I guess she maybe felt like a murderer, so she just couldn't do it, you know. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Man, oh man. You know, one of the one of the things that that occurred to me was um at the end of this movie, Jack shows just a little bit of selflessness by allowing um Will to be the one to stab Davy Jones's heart. And at the end of the second movie, he actually came back. He was trying to just leave the crew behind, leave everyone behind. Why did he come back to the ship at the end of the second movie? And I apologize to the listeners. This is something that I should have talked about in the prior movie. But why do you think he came back? Hmm. Because we I didn't don't... discuss it. You know, he was he was uh, rowboating off away from the Kraken. Um Correct pronunciation, Kraken, by the way. Um, <laughs> but then he came back, you know, and then that's when Elizabeth locked him up to the mast. What do you I think? Why did he come back? Well, yeah, I really don't know. I mean, that's it's his ship. I mean, that's the only thing I could think of. Like the captain needs to go down with his ship? Um, I guess. Or he could try to get away. I'm, I'm not really sure. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I'm, I'm thinking it's he feels, even though he's a pirate and he's cutthroat and he's down with raping and pillaging like he's he you know talked about that in the first movie and stuff i think he does feel some loyalty and part of the whole pirate's code is ingrained in him so i think he really did feel loyalty to his crew but also to elizabeth and to will who did a lot to trying to help him and to save his life and stuff so i think it was him just trying to pay his debts and and you know to live consciously consciously isn't the right word but to yeah. live correctly by his morals, you know? Yeah. Okay, so here's another thing that gets me. They went to Davy Jones's locker to try to get him out, but they show up and he's already getting out. Like, what? what is the whole point of that? And why is there a boat there that he could actually get out and these crabs try to help him? Was it Calypso trying to get him out? But Calypso is in charge. Like, she could have pulled him out. It's just like, that was just like, oh, I, I didn't really follow. I didn't savvy that. Yeah, I did not savvy it either, other than the fact that they needed to be there because they had the map that told them up is down. Huh, okay, makes sense. So I want to ask you, what is your favorite prop? Oh, it's <laughs> it's probably the same prop as you, that cool wooden, wooden spinning map. Absolutely. Now, here's my question. Is it after Jack Sparrow cuts it out, or is it before as it's rolled up in this entirety? Oh, before. I want the entire thing for sure. I was actually leaning just for the circle, you know, have it actually cut out and like, hey, this is what Jack took out of the map and you can put it on the wall or something that could spin around. Nice. You know, I like that. And I actually thought again about taking Com- Commodore Norrington's sword because at the end when Bootstrap Bill, not the end, in the middle or so, when Bootstrap Bill kills Norrington, 
uh, Davy Jones pulls out the sword, says, oh, nice sword, and keeps it for himself. So that kind of makes that prop a little bit more important because now not only did Norrington have it, well, Will Turner made it, Norrington had it, and then now, and then Lord Beckett gave it back to Norrington. So that sword had been through many hands. It makes that prop a little bit more important. So that was my second choice. That's a good choice. And you see one of the um, uh, British soldiers picks up the sword and just looks at it for some stupid reason, just like, oh, this is so pretty. It's like a fly at night seeing a, the light that's buzzing and I, say, I have to keep going towards it that's right huh <laughs> but there's everybody's fighting around you they're gonna kill you and just yep. like that davy jones comes and plunges a sword in his, in his <laughs> so i thought that was silly yeah it was it was a bit silly um let's see we talked about props oh your favorite scene is the entire and maelstrom battle scene i guess right yes that was I mean, honestly, that was just brilliant. If you just skip past, I would say necessary if you've never seen it. But if you want to go back and watch something that was super awesome, going back and watching that scene from beginning to end when Elizabeth's standing up on the thing to, you know, yelling at the people to actually them starting to engage. So, so awesome. Totally, man. And you get some good emotion throughout the scene too, right? You get the marriage between Will and Elizabeth. You get his death. It looks like everything is possibly at an end. But at the very end of the scene, he pops bucket pops uh, blah, blah, blah. he pops back out out of the water and then they take down lord uh what's his name ship you know i mean there there there's a lot of you know ups and downs throughout the scene so i agree with you great scene altogether yeah yeah i loved it I, for some reason i was just not, wasn't a big fan of the um anytime they go and see calypso in her place it's just like oh i didn't really care like the, well, not, not that was part two but i mean like it was this uh when they go to found find chow yun fat you know, the the pirate guy, the Asian pirate guy, when they're going in there, it just feels like a Disney ride. Like it doesn't it doesn't feel like just the way it's all set up, the scene and everything, it doesn't feel like it's a uh, real world. Does that make sense? So you thought the whole thing going to Singapore, talking to Chowing Fat was uh unnecessary? No, no, no. Sorry. Just visually, the scene of the going in there on the boat where Elizabeth's rowing and she's singing, mm. like that scene, it didn't feel like a big Singapore. Singapore should be huge. It just felt like this is a tiny little port, but the, it felt like a, an actual set, like a, a movie set that they put together and they it's, it's enclosed and it's not out in a, at a location. That's basically what I'm getting at. They shouldn't have been. It should have been open to the stars, you know? I agree. And I think that took me out. Obviously, when they're fighting inside the uh, bathhouse and everything, that that's different. But going in, it just felt like, man, it just feels like you're on the ride. And I didn't want to feel that necessarily. I, did, I didn't want to be to remember the ride at that time. It was like, this is a big deal. They're in Singapore, like this is a big deal. So that took me out. But other than that, I, I mean, I really like the movie. So what grade would you give just this movie? Just this movie, I've, I've got to give it a B. It's, it's not as good as the first part, which I gave an A. Uh, this is a B, but yeah, a B. What about you? I give it a B plus, and I, the reason why I notched it up to a B plus, actually, you know what? Yeah, it's a B plus, almost an A, like it, or A minus. It's 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 right on the borderline. Like it's like eighty nine percent if you want to give it a grade or a percentage grade. Um, so the reason why is because that ending scene was just it made the movie. It really they, they did that so well. I love Davy Jones, the um, uh, Nile Nye Nye. Nike, that guy playing him, like everything about Davy Jones is so awesome to watch. Um, I give, just because of that end scene, it jumped it up in my opinion. I gotcha. And speaking of end scenes, I really 
loved 10 years later at the very end credits um seeing will's daughter on the daughter will's son with his wife right there that was really cool i i really felt my you know i uh, felt some emotion in that scene absolutely now here's i looked over to my wife and said would you wait 10 years for me <laughs> she goes I'd have to. We're married. I mean, it's just what we're going to have to do. Yep. Did you did you ask Denise that? No, no, I didn't. Um, I'm sure she would, and I would wait for her as well. But, you know, if she was dead, that's a different story. <laughs> you know, but oh, she, exactly. Elizabeth knows that Will is coming back. So it's kind of a different circumstance than anybody else would ever have. Yeah, I definitely agree. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. So, um, oh, real quick, of course, my Monday, Monday morning quarterback already mentioned it. They've got to fight back when they're heading to the gallows. It's just, there's, there's no excuse for going quietly. That's absolutely the right, <laughs> absolutely the 100% right Monday morning quarterback. There's no way you can't fight back from that. And yeah. So as I was watching the movie, um, I was trying to think of a good Monday morning quarterback that would really, you know, change the perspective of everything. And really, it all comes down to just um, the case, the case, the locker, or what, not locker, the chest, the just, dead man's chest. Yeah, the dead man's chest has his heart in there. Like literally, point the cannon and blow it up. That that you would kill it, or just start stabbing knives through it. Like, don't worry about the key. Like, it's I'm pretty sure you can get a knife through. I don't think it's made out of metal. It's made out of wood. All that to say, it seems like you should easily just stab through it, and not worry about the key. I got you there. So are you talking about from anybody's perspective or specifically from the Royal Navy East India Trading Company's perspective? I would say actually from Jack Sparrow, that was his goal um, was to actually take over. So what he would need to do is just knock those two guys out, which would be really quick and easy. And then just start stabbing your sword into it, like you said. That or just take the cannon and blow it up, like do exactly what, yeah, what was said there uh, or, you know, set up to do. Then that heart's dead and he takes over so quickly and easily. Yeah, I got you. That that does make sense because that just gets you right to your goal. Your goal is to take over as Davy Jones. Why take it up top, you know, yeah, why take it out in the ship and expose it to the to everyone else, you know, you're right. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. All right. So before we close this puppy out, anything that we uh, failed to mention? No, I think that's all I got. Cool beans. So Dust, uh, you and I kind of together had chosen this series of three movies. But for our movie next week, I want to give you the choice. What are we going to learn from? I really like fun, fun movies. And I, it's been a little while since I watched this one. And so I really want to do a fun Kung Fu movie and Kung Pao Enter the Fist is what I want to do. Nice, man. I was hoping you would choose that because we just talked about it earlier in this episode with product placement. So product it seems placement like a perfect time to jump into Kung Pao. Yes, let's do it with Kung Pao. Oh man, I am so looking forward to it. Good choice. And I hope the listeners look forward to it as well. But speaking of the listeners, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy this episode, please share it with a friend. And of course, you know how we feel about the entire Pirates of the Caribbean series. We want to hear your thoughts, any life lessons that you took away, your own Monday morning quarterback, or maybe a prop that you think is better than our props. So just go to watch and learnpodcast.com slash pod 63 for this episode and thank you very much once again my name was sky and i'm dusty and we will return next week with kung pao enter the fist <laughs>